Hey all, thank you for joining us for another installment of the Ground Game Reading Series. Today we're going to be trying something a little bit different. Uh, I've actually got Jane Wynn and Sharon. Sharon, I cannot pronounce your last name. It's Varghese. Varghese. Like, Varghese, but plural. <laughs> oh, very good. Okay, so Sharon Varghese and Jane Wynn from K-Town for All are in here joining me with Bushido Scroll. We're going to be watching... Hey, a, uh, yep, we're going to be watching a number of clips here from the... NBC series, uh, the their iTeam series that they started producing, uh, really when all of the uh, the the fear mongering around the homelessness crisis in Los Angeles really started to ramp up, and uh, so this is like Streets of Shame. Yes, it's, it's the Streets yeah. of Shame series from their from their iTeam whatever they their investigate quote unquote investigative report of team uh, when it comes to this situation. Sorry, I'm fixing one little quick thing. Push the button. There we go. All right. Hopefully, I'll help cut down some of the background noise. All we right. had to wait for Chris to use his smartphone to tell his Shush. fancy curtains Shut to up. come down. So Shut up. <laughs> we're, we're living in the future. Catch up with us. Do not expose me for what I am. Um, all right. So here, here we go. We're going to go ahead. live from the top of the Columbia lofts. You're going to have to cut that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's just jump in. I believe that this is actually one of their first clips. So wait, that they so hold on. Out. Wait, before we do that. So are we just watching an episode? Have you pulled up clips? Like what's, what's our format? We're, we're going to look at a number of these. The main, the main focus here is that these, we've got a couple of different clips to look at. Um, I, I actually don't know if I'm going to be able to get them all up to show up on YouTube because the, uh, the news site doesn't work on my Apple TV. Uh, technical <laughs> issues, um, but we're going to see what we can find on YouTube to watch with this. But the main gist of this is that we've seen so many situations that this uh, investigative journalist here from the I-Team uh, goes out and is trying to find stories of people who have been victimized by the situation of homelessness in Los Angeles, but every single time that they go out there and they talk about it, the victims are not actually the unhoused population. It is uh, told from the perspective of the housed people who live uh, in the vicinity of these things and are there, they're the, the focus of the attention from this investigative journalist. And uh, that's what we really want to talk about because we've actually been solicited uh, by this guy for interviews multiple times uh, through the work of K-Town for All, correct? But so, so just to be clear, so we're going to watch uh, several clips, not just one episode. We're going to watch through. A we're going to watch like a couple segments. of them. Okay. Oh, we're going to we're going to watch them one at a time and and talk about what it is that we're seeing and some of the issues with the way that it is being covered by NBC. Does that make cool. sense? That makes sense. Cool. All right. So this is we're 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 experimenting here. This is going to be fun. All right. Here we go. In the shadow of the West L.A. skyline, tucked under the 405 at Venice Boulevard, is a stretch... Oh, this is a pretty well-established encampment. Yes, it is. At least once a week, the LAPD orders them out, blocks off the area, and an army of sanitation workers moves in, picking up used needles, bottles of urine, and mountains of garbage. They sanitize the sidewalk and then leave. But within minutes, people are back, rebuilding their life under the 405. The sidewalk is again littered with the hazardous byproducts of life on the streets. You're living out here by choice. 
Oh, 100%. We met Dylan Brumley rummaging through the trash here in search of something to eat. And we saw him picking up a dirty needle. Were well, you going to use that needle? Yes. He says these cleanups never keep the area clean for more than a few hours. You're wasting time, money, effort. And neighbors who live near the encampment agree. It is not a good use of our tax dollars. Roman Samily lives five houses from the tent city. Did you catch city. what that logo was? Oh, yeah, what jacket is he wearing? Because he's wearing like an official city jacket. Yeah, that was... Into uh, the neighborhood, leaving behind piles of garbage, which the sanitation no. workers never YouTube, clean up. Be cooperative. All right, so wait. So based on what we've seen so far, what are you all thinking about this? So, I mean, in general, this has been one of the primary issues that I've had with the Streets of Shame series is the focus on visual aesthetics and how the... And, you know, even with the name, Streets of Shame, the idea isn't that we should be ashamed of how our policies have exacerbated the problem, um, how our response has exacerbated the problem. The concern is that the same thing that Mitch O'Farrell talks about, right, mm -hmm. is that people who are housed are traumatized by having to witness poverty. Yeah. And obviously that is immediately pulling up. It is way more traumatic to live in poverty Absolutely. than it is to have to witness other people living in poverty. Um, but again, the focus is always on visual aesthetics, um, which leads to band-aid fixes that don't actually solve the problem. Um, but it's the same focus, right? They're this, it's the same concern that we're talking about, that yeah. they're yeah. talking about. They're identifying, oh, look, the problem happens and nothing changes because we do this and then a few hours later everything's back to normal. So when they're doing that criticism of like we come in uh, we being the city we come in we clean stuff up and then a couple hours later it's back to dirty. Do you think that their solution they're proposing is wrap around services and support or like more harsh criminalization? Right, it's absolutely more harsh criminalization. The idea is that <laughs> That's definitely the not the only a way the, I, the the message is definitely the only yeah. way that stuff and trash aren't going to come back are if these people are in jail. Yeah. yeah. Right? The, we have to get rid of the people because the people are what are, what are what causing are what's causing the problem. Yeah. So one thing I noticed with that clip really quick here is that uh, they showed people doing exactly what we've seen with the activists uh, from Streetwatch LA when you are informed of a sweep happening. Basically, the question is, okay, so where do we need to move our stuff to get it out of the way so that it's not going to be confiscated so that we can take it and have it be in a safe spot so you can come in and you can purportedly clean up these areas like they they the people who are living in these encampments almost all of them i guess maybe not the one guy that they managed to interview but everyone that i've spoken to out there during outreach has said like when they come and they actually clean stuff up that's cool if they're actually going to clean stuff up but i remember seeing at least a couple of times in k-town how after they came through and pushed everybody out of the way and took away bikes took away tents took away larger items there was still just a ton of trash laying around. Like they didn't actually clean everything up. So the actual amount of progress that was being made in terms of maintaining sanitary conditions on the streets was effectively nil. Um, and we should also keep in mind that sanitation, police, the city behaves differently when they're being filmed. So um, in this segment, you see how they say like, they clean the sidewalks and then everyone moves back. Well, they very rarely ever clean the sidewalks. They usually just make people move their stuff. They throw away people's belongings. They don't do any garbage pickup and they don't clean the sidewalks. So um, you should also keep in mind that, oh, this, um, I think this segment was uh, released at the same time that the Services Not, of Services Not Sweeps campaign was oh. launched. About eight months ago, yeah. 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 About the same. Day. I was also going to say this 
encampment is the one where I believe uh, Victor Valencia was living uh, really? before he was shot. Yeah, because he this is right by where that shell and everything is on Venice. So I'm pretty sure this is the encampment that he was at. And I think that's one thing that like in light of that shooting is interesting to see because he was holding a bike park. And the biggest thing I'm seeing arguing with people who are like, okay, with the shooting is, oh, well, that bike park looks like it could be dangerous. And the whole like kind of scare tactic showing needles and like dirty needles and really focusing on like those couple pieces of waste is really sending the message like, oh, this isn't just like blight on your neighborhood. This is dangerous. This is a threat. This is something that has to be contained before it hurts you. Uh, and it just seems to go part and parcel with the, the uh, entire visual aesthetic they're pushing here. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, shall we watch some more? Yeah. <laughs> here we go. Behind piles of garbage, which the sanitation workers never clean up. But it just pushes <laughs> the trash into our streets. Our streets are worse after these cleanups. And I couldn't worse think because out what of his this logo too. Was. The homeless routinely leave their encampment to urinate on the streets of the neighborhood. Yeah, it's almost they like they don't have bathrooms. on the residential streets where children play. When sanitation workers do their cleanups, they stay inside the yellow tape, ignoring piles of human waste just a few feet away. People are defecating and urinating all over the streets. You're aware of this. Yes. Pepe Garcia of LA's <laughs> Department of Sanitation. We confront you, you with have an a pile iPad. If a few feet outside an encampment, they should clean it up. They should. Garcia is in charge of these cleanups, which are supposed to ensure healthier conditions in and around these tent cities. That's, that's the main goal. But that's not happening, say neighbors who live near this homeless encampment in the valley. Near this one in Wait, we just jumped all the way to the north end of the valley to prove a different point. Like, that's kind of, that, that was an amazing bit of, like, deceptive editing there. The idea that sanitation is supposed to be dealing with all these things outside of these demarcated areas really kind of goes against uh, the only rules that they've actually established for the sweeps is that purportedly the sweep is only supposed to be taking place within the very strictly delineated regions that they've got taped off um, for everyone's safety. Cause you know, these are our big people. They just showed a clip of a, a street sweeper that is so much larger than any street cleaner I've seen being used on sidewalks anywhere in Los Angeles. Cause I'm, I'm used to seeing the, all the little bid teams that run around in their, uh, their rider mower street sweeping mm -hmm. devices. Uh, and they, that was a full blown street sweeping, like uh, dump truck. And uh, they had it up on the sidewalk. So uh, it makes sense to not be having the sanitation workers running around and trying to clean up, human feces between parked cars. Um, but again, what really strikes me about this is that these reporters are really just asking the question of how are you going to deal with this issue? How are you going to deal with this issue? And, and it's like only talking about the Band-Aids right. to put onto this festering wound rather than trying to treat the symptoms of like, hey, let's get people into housing or let's provide public hygiene facilities like, oh, I don't know, bathrooms or hand-washing stations. Right, I mean, the, thing that, the things that you're not seeing images of our sharps containers. Yeah. You're not seeing mm -hmm. bathrooms. You're not seeing uh, hand washing stations. You're not seeing trash cans. No. You're just not seeing trash cans. And time and time again in K time, what we've seen too is, you know, we fought for a really long time to get trash cans placed at encampments. Mm -hmm. They don't get emptied. They don't get emptied often enough. They're overflowing. And this is something that sanit is in sanitation's wheelhouse, emptying garbage cans. Um, I mean, you had, you put in a three one one request to yeah. get trash cans empty. Yeah, that was because fun. Because we don't we don't have 
I mean, it's just such a basic, okay, there's trash. And look around in all of these shots. What I'm not seeing are trash cans. Yeah. Um, and it's just such a simple solution, but it's not a police solution. Mm-hmm. It's not an enforcement solution. And those are the solutions that for some reason seem to escape because they're not punitive. They, they seem to sort of escape the, the major presentation, right? Like the, the, the public focus discourse. Isn't there. Yeah. yeah the, the, exactly. the id as it were, <laughs> when it comes to dealing with the unhoused population in the city is definitely not focused on providing the actual kinds of services that are necessary for people to live in, you know, a basic quality of life. Like that's not, and they do get mentioned. Camps. I've seen this clip. And so like when we get to the rest of it, we'll, but we'll talk a little right. bit about how they deprioritize those solutions. Do they really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I nice. think when we get there. That'll yeah. be fun. <laughs> Jane, did you, you were trying to hop in a little bit? Oh, well, uh, in regards to the garbage cans, it felt like such a major victory when they started putting garbage cans at encampments and yeah. it shouldn't have felt like a victory. You know, we fought for like a year to get garbage cans out on the streets and, uh, they have not emptied the garbage cans. Like I spoke to an encampment resident in Koreatown yesterday and she said since they've installed the garbage can, they've emptied it once, only once. They installed those things like six months ago. Yeah. I, I, I legitimately remember that like the first sighting of a trash can in K-Town that was being installed like popped up on the K-Town for All Discord and everyone's like, oh my God, they're here. Oh, wow, this is amazing. And sees these green like... The, you know, mana from heaven coming down here to provide like this very, very basic modicum of relief. And then that just got ignored. Yeah. You and, know, and well, she's been emptying the garbage cans herself. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And one of the things is that this is a change from sanitation's old policy, which was if a garbage can was used too much, they would remove it. Wow. Really? Yeah. So, this had, they had to change the policy where if a, if a location had so much trash that they had to empty it too much, they would just be like, yeah, let's just get rid of it. Clearly, that's Which, the way to deal with the problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's keep on rolling through here. Obtained and analyzed records of all homeless encampment cleanups and found the city conducted nearly 15,000 of those cleanups last year alone. Wow. That cost taxpayers $31 million just to pay the sanitation workers. Another $4.7 million to pay the cops assigned to Background protect them. Using for this. And no one could tell us the cost of DOT officers who control traffic around the cleanups or the cost of these city outreach workers who hand out snacks. What's the total cost of the cleanups? I wouldn't have that number for you. Is there anyone in the city keeping track of the total cost of these cleanups? I, I wouldn't be able to comment. I don't know. There's an absolute better way that the hey, city could be spending Becky. all this money. Homeless advocate Becky Dennison and infectious disease doctor Jeffrey Klausner of UCLA have been to the 405 encampment and say conditions like these are a breeding ground for disease. There have been outbreaks like Shigella, Salmonella, E. coli, hepatitis A. They really Dr. Klausner says the those? city should use some of that cleanup money to place porta potties at every big right? encampment, something they've done at just 12 out of the hundreds of tent cities in LA. 
Going to the restroom is just a basic human need, and it does create a health crisis to not have a bathroom. And she says the city needs to place a lot more trash cans near homeless encampments. At that 405 site, there's just one can on each end of the encampment. Those are the and same trash always cans. overflowing. How many trash cans should the city put out at that encampment? At least six or seven or a larger dumpster. Trash is not the issue. Dylan Brumley has another idea. He thinks the city could redirect some of those cleanup dollars to offering drug treatment to addicts like himself and help for the mentally ill help that could get these people off the streets for good. With the millions of dollars that they're spending on the trash pickup, I don't think it would be impossible to have some sort of counseling. If you go in and you clean up these encampments and they're dirty again within hours? This is the best I can do today. Will it get better tomorrow? I, I absolutely believe it will. In the wake of our investigation, sanitation officials tell us they will retrain their workers to clean up trash and human waste in the neighborhoods around encampments not just near the tents. We'll be watching in the months and years to come to see how your tax dollars are being spent to clean up LA's streets of shame. Well, I think what's fascinating about that one is for the type of like single family homeowner they're speaking to, that person isn't paying enough taxes. You know, like yeah. they're already like <laughs> talking to 13. someone who's probably <laughs> saving money on taxes by being a homeowner and saying, this is your tax dollars at work. And it's like, None of the sums that they're throwing out there for a city like LA with a budget of $12 billion are all that nuts. You know, when they're like $35 million a year, I'm like, that doesn't seem like all that much. Like LAPD is pulling down like $1.4 billion a year. So I'm also curious about their, their $4 million number there, whether or not that's already part of LAPD's budget that's already spent at the beginning of the year, or if that's an overage that we're like being charged. Cause I mean, that's, that's just a, that's just a silly budget question. I've it, got it, it, it really is. But the, so my my thing that really stuck out to me at the end there when they were talking to the the unhoused resident who is uh, clearly going through some serious issues relating to to uh, drug addiction, like yes, that is absolutely something that we need for probably around thirty ish, maybe forty percent of the people that are out there on the streets in the areas like Skid Row. But when we're talking to people out in Cape Town, like this, the majority of the people that are out there are not necessarily suffering from any kind of drug addiction. They don't need the kind of counseling and uh, rehabilitation stuff that that guy was suggesting, but rather they just need a secure, safe shelter provided to them where they would actually have access to uh, hygiene facilities and have access to places to cook and clean and uh, clean themselves and, uh, you know, use the, use the bathroom without having to worry about, you know, some NBC reporter filming them from a distance. You know, I think there's also to, to that same point, the difficulties of providing those resources without providing the stability of shelter, um, whether it's housing or whether it's an emergency shelter, it is really difficult to go through rehab when what you're coming out to is, again, situations that require that you stay up at night to protect your possessions, yeah. situations that require that you are constantly on alert mode because the police or sanitation are going to come in the morning and clear all of your items. Um, just talking to Sean this morning, who just completed 60 days of rehab, for example, um, he was saying that the biggest thing for him was not having to sort of wake up and immediately just be on alert all of the time. This, this need to be alert is, was a huge part 
of him using drugs as a way to stay up, to sort of stay alert and to the, because he lacked the security and privacy of housing. Yeah, absolutely. That's that, that very much echoes conversations that I've had with the same guy. When I was talking to Sean, hearing stories about, you know, if you have to stay up literally all night to make sure that somebody doesn't come by and pick through all of your belongings and take the things that they feel that they need more than you do, uh, you're you're going to be it's going to just absolutely mess with your ability to function as a person out on the most basic level because you're staying up all night and then you definitely cannot sleep through the whole day because you're on a not that quiet of a street and there's no real shade or any protection from the elements you're not going to be able to get anything remotely resembling a good night's sleep a it's during the day and it's hot but like that level of stress in your day-to-day existence is just going to wear people down and destroy you physically and mentally. So, yeah. Let's, uh, well, I guess we get an ad for a second here. <laughs> um, and then the other thing I was going to say, too, I think what this is just sort of a, the way that they edited, you know, Becky is someone who knows what she's talking about. Absolutely. Um, but they just edited out her talking. Yeah. Right? They summarize what she says um, and some of her points. But this is a lot of how these... Uh, these clips operate, right? Where they will let the person who is housed and frustrated or the city official talk in their own words. And when it comes to people who are unhoused, um, there's someone on Twitter who watched a bunch, like, you know, yeah. 20, like 29 videos or something, yeah. right? And was like seven of them actually included interviews with people who were unhoused. Yeah. Whereas every single one has at least one video of a, a housed person who is struggling with what they see outside. Well, in the, the when they had the uh, doctor from UCLA there, they sort of did the same thing. And he rattled off a bunch of diseases. And then you're like, well, I could have caught half of those from lettuce in the last month. <laughs> right. You know, like this, they're making something out to be like, it, like salmonella is dangerous, but like it's not unique to homeless encampments. It's not unique to any of these things. It's really just like part and parcel for our food system. And it's weird how they are using those scare words against people. And they know like, oh, you've heard of E. coli. You know it's bad. We're not going to dig into this. Or... The fact right. that there's a solution to it. And it, it, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's prioritizing the problem and it's giving voice to the problem, but yeah. not to the solution. Right. And it's downplaying the solution aspects of that. These people are talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I did appreciate the fact that they actually included a reference for saying, Oh, Hey, they've put in these pit stops at 12 encampments instead of the hundreds that they're currently monitoring, which it's interesting that they're, they're monitoring them when the, the encampments do tend to move around so much and get basically raided by sanitation and, and dispersed. And then they have to re uh, accumulate uh, on their own. But the nature of them reporting on that and then immediately just going back, like here's all this money that we're spending again on mostly just punitive enforcement. That's not actually trying to solve the real problem. So uh, this next clip uh, just is, is popping up because NBC has a playlist on YouTube of all of these videos uh, is really focused on the rat situation. Um, I, I have seen this one before, if it's the one I think it is. Uh, and it's this is one that we've shouted out, uh, shouted about uh, a number of times on the uh, Knock podcast uh, relating to the 
illegal dumping of produce and uh, vegetable matter that's resulting from like, okay, yeah, we'll just go straight into it because that makes sense. The streets of Los Angeles feasting on piles of uncollected trash. Now, the I-Team exposed a problem recently and the city vowed to clean it up. But we found evidence the city's rodent population is growing, pushing those rats and possibly disease closer to homes and businesses. Investigative reporter Joel Grover pressed the mayor to explain why L.A. has no formal rat control program. Rats race across Ceres Avenue near downtown, competing for food. We should mention, it says on the screen this entire time, overrun by rats. Uh... <laughs> Which downtown LA is hardly overrun by rats. Um, there's one right there. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is actually right when there was that uh, infestation of um, rats that resulted in them ripping all the carpet out at City Hall, too. The University of California and Sylvia Kenmuir, who advises the city of New York how to control its rats. I had no idea it was this bad. Bad, not just in downtown, but across the city. Our cameras spotted rats running around near people and munching on trash. And sanitation workers gave us these pictures of rats and rat feces that they found inside homeless encampments. Encampments where people- That's the same clip. clip. This is the same clip. Yeah. Could LA be doing a better job of controlling the rats? Absolutely. In fact, LA still has no formal program (laughs) to control rats eight months after an epidemic of the infectious disease typhus spread by fleas an epidemic there was what three cases that they determined have workers out every day plugging burrows where rodents nest and multiply new york city i mean they must be listening to dr drew for their news to train city workers and has a rat task force that meets weekly this is literally there's a guy in the middle of the day shining a flashlight into bushes (laughs) yep and cracks and walls. <laughs> I mean, for a few days, the city sealed rat burrows just in the Skid Row area. But the sanitation department tells us there's no additional rat control effort like that scheduled for this year. And while the mayor says you should call 311 to report trash piles, thanks for the, a service that little video clip there. There's no category for reporting rat sightings, even though downtown workers tell us they're seeing more rodents than ever and getting bitten by fleas that live on them. Rats are everywhere, and it's just not acceptable to expose people to this amount of disease. And what about all those rats we found on Ceres Avenue, which sits right next to LA's produce district? They're crawling on the boxes, they're crawling on the produce. This is a serious health problem. What are you doing today to control the rats and deal with the rat burrows here? Sure, I, let me get back to you. I don't know if there's action taken today. The day after we questioned the mayor, his spokesman said a contractor filled 15 rat burrows with flea powder and rat poison and stuffed them with paper and wire mesh. This is definitely an active burrows. But just two hours later, the I-team was there with those two experts and they found plenty of active rat burrows that weren't filled. They also saw rats still running wild. It's literally just a rat in an alley. He's not really wild and out. Uh, but yeah, I don't think we need to watch the rest of that because it's, it's <laughs> sort of is just going to go around in circles with uh, rats exist. They exist anywhere people exist. Yeah. Um, and it, what's weird also is they show the one picture of the leg with a bunch of bite marks and they're like, and chewed up by fleas. And it's like, there is no evidence given that that lady's bite marks came from fleas came from fleas connected to rats. It was literally just a lady with some red marks on a leg and yeah. then 
no evidence presented whatsoever. Not even the owner of the leg yeah. making the claim. No, no one, there was, it's just shown and you're supposed to take it at face value. Um, and even still, so we're focused again on solutions that relate to um, plugging rat burrows. Yeah. But the mention of illegal dumping is <laughs> Didn't pretty much zero. Right. Yeah. That's, we haven't seen anything about illegal dumping. And we know that illegal dumping, which gets pinned on homeless encampments, uh, it's one of the things that makes illegal dumping so easy in L.A., is that you can illegally dump stuff next to a homeless encampment and you're not going to get blamed. Absolutely not. The encampment will, and the encampment is going to suck up all of the blame by both the public and also by the city in terms of why the rats are overrunning. It was also, it's interesting to watch a news segment where the actual subjects of the news story do so little talking and most of it is just like this this anchor guy yelling. Like even when it's Garcetti speaking, he said all of a sentence, like a complete sentence, and they just cut in for like half a sentence and then cut away to the the news guy just like yelling at you as to what to think. Even with those like rat experts when she's like, oh yeah, it's worse than I thought. It's like, well, how bad did you think it was? Like we need to contextualize the statement a little bit. Um, but they don't really have that. They just sort of have her repeating a couple of lines. And a couple of them like seemed like she was repeating lines. They're like, oh, could you say this? And she just sort of like says it that way because she's kind of got a smile on her face. Maybe she's nervous. I don't really know. But it just like none of it read really authentic to me. Like I'm a, a, a rat person who believes that this is a huge crisis and we need to do something about it. It was more like, oh, I'm here on TV saying TV things. Yeah, right. it's heavily edited. Like, you don't see a full sentence spoken by any of the experts that yep. we have on. No. Um, and back to Sharon's point, uh, the statistic that only seven videos or whatever, that someone on you, on Twitter had uh, gone through the excruciating work of watching <laughs> 29 videos of Streets of Shame. We're not going to watch 29 today. Thank you. <laughs> I, I can't do that. Um, and uh, so Twitter user Nond Blonde, N-O-N-D-B-L-O-N. Yeah, we're said, definitely going to be linking that in the description for this. Yeah, watched 29 videos. Only seven of them had any interviews with actual people experiencing it's homelessness. Insane. Seven out that's of 29. just absolutely insane that that's the, the perspective that's being pushed with all this. And I, I one thing that, that really jumped out to me on this one as well, like, Going back to the illegal dumping, they're explicitly talking about, oh, my God, there are rats running across this produce, and they're showing you a bunch of oranges. They're saying, oh, these rats are chewing through these boxes to get to these produce. The reason why the rats are by the produce is because the people that are selling it are just leaving the rotting stuff in the back, and they're not taking the proper care to get it, like, you know, put it into a rat-proof uh, container for, for, you know, for dumping. Like, all of this biological... Uh, matter that is just the the, the vegetation, the, the off cuttings from the flowers, which is like also over there by series, is the the flower market's not too far away, and they that fresh green stuff that is one of the things that the rats yeah, really they don't, love to eat. Well, they don't talk about like having a city composting program to like no. deal with that, right? Like it's just we need to poison the rats more, uh, and they also like it's weird again when they're talking about like the disease threat that it, it uh, seems to present. It doesn't, to me, feel like they mean to the folks who are unhoused. Like, no. they're not the ultimate people who are being threatened. It's more it's like the workers. you, the, the office worker, <laughs> you're the one who's endangered. Yeah, and, and the um, the big thing with the, the produce that it, it's just, 
I, I've walked around on Skid Row, you know, because it's I live in downtown. I've done a bunch of work with the folks over at L.A. Can like and when I go over there and if I walk around in the neighborhood, it's not hard at all to find literally just crates full of rotting vegetables that are clearly just it's the shipping. It's the crate that it was shipped in. It was never, you know, opened and picked through and, and you know, put onto a shelf somewhere. It just got dumped on the sidewalk or behind a par- car that's parked you know, you know, parallel parking spot on the side of a road in that in r- pretty industrial area that is Skid Row. And it just gets dumped there with no repercussions. And I've seen boxes full of tins of stuff like canned food that there's no reason why it should have been dumped there, but it was because it's just become an area that nobody cares to enforce any of those dumping rules. done to fix the streets of shame in LA? It's a question so many people keep asking. But one man with a drone at says Dying, it's the California. city that's to blame for the encampments that keep popping up, and he's giving us this bird's-eye view of the mess. NBC4's John Caddy's Klimak is live in Lake Balboa Park. John. It was a few weeks ago, uh, Carolyn, where we brought you here. We showed you the uh, line of shopping carts full of garbage that were here. There's only one left here now. It was cleaned up the very next day. But it was partly that story that led a Tarzana man to wonder where those shopping carts came from. And he went to look beyond the fencing here to see what he could see, and now you get to see it too. It's just encampment after encampment. You can't see this from Balboa Boulevard, but the area is widespread. Nice to see somebody's just sending drones up to spy on folks. 30 plus tents, um, chop shops for bikes. It's a little scary just to kind of even see from the air. It's their home, I guess, but it's not right. Johnny Perez shot this drone video and shared it in the hopes that, as he says, Johnny Perez, by the way, is wearing a tactical colored American flag hat. Yes, he is. He has clearly staked out his ground. We first spotted his work when he posted wow. this video to Facebook last week. A sprawling encampment near the Northridge Mall that sits above the L.A. River. And down below, trash that teeters on a health hazard. I can see the trash from the air, but I don't know what's in there. I can only imagine it's... it's we can't see the trash, but we know it's a health hazard. <laughs> No idea what's in there. It could be nuclear waste. We we have to be very careful. Connects with the with the river over by Griffith Park, which is what the mayor was promoting for you know kayaking and stuff like that. It's the same. That's a great picture of Garcetti. And here's a third location. This one. I think we're going to need to use that as the thumbnail for this clip. Coincidentally, the NBC4 I team has had its eye on this spot for more than a month, and the growing trash pile the city has yet to clean up. The regular people and the taxpayers are... are the regular uh, people. Regular people. <laughs> Y'all can't see this, but Bushido is just putting his head in Yeah, no. Hands. Well, Mr. At, or at Mr. Dying California is really just sort of making a case as to why he need not be listened to. And eventually, either they'll go somewhere else or they'll stop. They'll go somewhere else or they'll stop. They'll stop what, sir? Existing? And... So this, they'll go somewhere else. Where the fuck does he think they're going to go? Well, I, I mean, the other part is the, the, or they'll stop. And I assume he means like drug addiction and other criminality, which as though this is just a moral choice. Like when they're talking to that one like addict in Venice and he's like, no, I'm just going to keep using it. And they sort of give the implication like, well, he just wants to be a drug addict. Like he just wants to be doing this. It's his personal choice. Like you chose to be a successful person who went to college and, this person chose something else, and you're morally superior to them. They should just stop being homeless. You know, yes. just stop. I mean, why don't they just purchase more money? <laughs> if you're poor, why don't you just buy more money? 
Well, no, the, that that guy, the the addict that they talked to in that first video that we were watching, literally, they asked him like, You're, "Are you here by choice?" And he said, "Absolutely." Yeah. Like, um, I mean, if you're if you're a drug addict, you are not. I would not say that you are living on the streets by choice so much as by. Uh, consequence no of, of what your, the alternative choice yeah, would be like, right what else it's are like gonna do? well was your choice to live here or be in jail yeah i'm gonna pick here yeah. right yeah. like i mean what what the alternative actually is that's available to people is is not the one you know what, what the choices that they're making are not something that we're talking about in these clips yeah. um and obviously the the one thing to to push back on this idea that people who live on the street don't pay taxes um, is so ridiculously frustrating. Yeah. Aside from the fact that a lot of folks have jobs yep. and are homeless yes. um, and pay payroll taxes. There are folks who pay sales taxes because yep. you still pay sales taxes on your mm-hmm. shit. So um, this idea that the kinds of taxes that you pay are morally superior to the taxes that other people pay because your living circumstances are better is just something that no one ever pushes back on. And then the idea that in, in, in terms of these sorts of videos, right? Like, they're not, we're not pushing back on the idea that, look, there are people who are out here paying taxes with jobs, or if, you know, not, still paying taxes because they are consuming items, um, and that they're, those taxes don't matter. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of people also um, who get uh, social security disability insurance, uh, veterans benefits, all that stuff, and you're taxed on that. Like, even if you don't have a permanent address... Your veterans' benefits, those get taxed, like your Social Security disability insurance, that's getting taxed. Like, you're not existing in society without paying taxes in a way. Yeah. So I want to talk about a woman I met at one of the encampments that was uh, creepily filmed in one of these drone shots in Chatsworth. And she was um, four months pregnant at the time when I met her in Chatsworth living in one of those encampments. And um, when he talks about regular people... Like, she has a job. She has a gym membership. She goes and uh, works at for an employer. She's in a service industry. You could not guess that she was living in one of those encampments. And so when he talks about regular people, those people are, you know, they could be one of the people living in these encampments. So, um, yeah, we should think about you know, the individual stories in which if you yeah, zoom they, in from these drone shots. The dehumanizing language they use yeah. rather loosely is kind of arresting because they make it very clear, like, if you're living in a tent, you're not, like, a regular person. Yeah, like, you're, you're not... You're the other. Yeah. Yeah, as if, like, any population that consists of 60,000 people in L.A. County isn't going to contain people who are regular. <laughs> it's They're all a monolith, Sharon. you got to <laughs> remember, every single homeless person is exactly like every other homeless person. They are all... Mentally unstable drug addicts that can only be helped by the tough arm of the law coming in and scooping them up and arresting them. I was talking to somebody yesterday who was saying that the big difference for him, and he's like, he, he's really frustrated. He gets really frustrated mm-hmm. when the news uses the adjective homeless when it's not talking about housing policy. Um, he's like, you know, it's never a housed person killed somebody or a housed person attacked somebody or a housed person to this, right? Like, and, you know, and, you know, he's, he's someone who moved out here with his job. His job basically let him transfer from North Carolina mm-hmm. to Los Angeles. 
Uh, he came here because his dad had medical bills and he needed to help take care of and pay his dad's medical bills. Uh, he didn't get a raise moving from North Carolina to Los Angeles. Wait, what? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> he's relocated, now is paying his father's medical bills, and is living on yeah. the streets because oh my God. for the same price that you can afford something in North Carolina, you cannot afford a room in yeah. Los Angeles. Um, and so he is, but you know, his big f- thing too that he was saying was the big difference for me uh, is that having money just means that you can buy privacy. Um, everyone well, has a shitty yeah. day. Everyone has a day where they freak out. But the difference is if you're housed, you get to do that at home. You get to do that in private. But when you have these, and you know, a drone isn't going to fly over your building and see inside when you're, have, you're, when you're having your worst day. Um, and that the one big difference is that, yeah, if you're having a shitty day and you live on the streets, everyone sees it. I, I would push back gently, uh, Bushido, on the uh, concept that nobody out there is talking about the crimes of the housed, uh, because there was an incident not that long ago when there was a rather large weapons cache discovered in one of the mansions. Oh, yeah, but it didn't. It didn't. It wasn't sold as no, no, no. Housed person has a lot of guns. The like only the, yeah. we, we are in the presence of one person who on Twitter did go out there and shout about the the crimes not, of the housed. But not, <laughs> Not in the not in the media at large. No, I know, but yeah. I'm I'm trying to give Jane some credit here for her her Twitter clout uh, and for calling that the uh, you know pointing out the fact that this these housed people are running these massive crime rings and they need to have their homes inspected. Yep, housed uh, people are out of control. <laughs> so yeah, all right. Let's see what the uh, the next one here is. Come on, I hate. The YouTube interface on the Apple TV, just saying. The homeless crisis, and now they're taking action. And along oh, hey. with this game-changing action comes a warning to the city of Los Angeles. NBC4's John Caddy's Klimak is live in Los Feliz with new details. John. Yeah, here's the thing, Robert. The, this group of neighbors say that there's one thing to have a bike path, an L.A. River bike path. So this is Lots in the area nice where SELA operates. It is another thing to have a bike path where things are And they're going to talk to You've this group of folks instead of SELA. gnarly for people who actually want to use this. So they say they've got a plan. We mounted a camera to a bike and did what many do every day along the L.A. River bike path. We rode. After all, this was built as a resource for the community when it was opened in 2012. And it was beautiful, and the community came out to use it. But there are some who say that beauty has quickly faded. I'm sick of it. It's disgusting. I know, right? We spent a day with the L.A. River walkers and watchers, neighbors who say they took it upon themselves. L.A. River watchers and walkers. So this is <laughs> sort of like... It's Neighborhood Watch, man. No, no, but they haven't identified that woman. Like, they never told us her name. No. I saw people in medical distress, and I thought, throw their ass oh, in jail. Her, her name is Evelyn Ailman. Yeah, but yeah, Evelyn, Wait, Evelyn, saw, Evelyn saw people in medical distress on the side of the road uh, who apparently had passed out after doing some very heavy narcotics and did not think I should get medical attention for these people. The response was just to take pictures of them and then share that with NBC. Yeah, don't Fun. take pictures of folks who are in medical distress. You know what would get rid of those needles? Sharps containers. Bob Acre says he walks the bike 
path every morning, talking to the homeless who call his home, and the police officers who he says rarely patrol it. Uh, you know what? Nothing's illegal anymore. No loitering laws. What? There's no, you know, I, yeah. I've asked the police, if I go, if you see somebody Dude, 4118 still exists. outside of the car, would you arrest them? No. If you see me do it, yeah, I would arrest you because you can pay for the bond. And, you know, if we take you to jail, we uh, know you're not full of bugs and what? stuff like, oh, yeah. No, Newsflash, apparently LAPD won't take you to jail if you're poor. Um, <laughs> I, 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 something I just learned today from this random Valley resident. Um, that's amazing. We'll, che we'll check with Michelle Moore and see if that's if that's their new policy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God damn it, Michael Moore. to expand the bike path, connecting the Elysian Valley with Vernon, a nonstop ride from the San Fernando Valley all the way to Long Beach. Thanks to $365 million from taxpayers. I'm so struck by how many, you know, massive streets they show in all of these clips. We haven't gotten it right yet. Take care of this first before you expand the bike path to other communities. What? We can't have bike paths because people in the valley don't like homeless people. We literally can't do a bike path across L.A. because of that, which I've never heard that argument before. Uh, I've heard it once, but it was with the Purple Line extension. Oh, no. Uh, which w there was the concern about the downtown element that Ooh. it would bring. Yeah, right? Absolutely. This is, this is where you hear that argument. It's when it comes to transit. It's when it is transit, whether it's bikes or whether it's trains. It's anything that connects people to other communities, right? Yeah. I actually had heard that there is... Uh, the only metro stations in like the LA metro network relating to the purple or red line, they're going to have any public restroom facilities, I believe are going to be the ones that pop up in the Beverly Hills area, but they will be, uh, there will be armed guards patrolling these stations as well. So it's just the fact that, that, that I'm hearing that this is going to be the only place where there's a bathroom because there, there are no bathrooms in any of the stations outside of Union Station. That's the only place that has well, any kind of public but facilities. But I, I think the the part that's weirder here is the idea, like, we can't expand public infrastructure because we have this housing problem. Yeah. So until we 100% solve this housing problem, we can't do anything to expand infrastructure that would, like, allow the city to get better and more livable. Like, you can build a bike path longer and house a bunch of folks. Like, you don't yeah. have to wait for one of those to happen for the other one to happen, but making it an either-or, and it's not, like, a good-faith either-or. It's not, like, a good-faith, like, okay, once we, like, take care of the problem with housing, then we can do all the stuff we want. There's always a reason to delay, and this is just sort of, like, their reason de jure where it makes it seem like we're in a scarcity environment where we have to choose between, like, oh, do we want bike paths or do we want, like, safe bike paths instead of just, you know, build a fucking bike path. Right. Well, and the other thing with the transit is that because people are having to commute so far to get to work, that exacerbates the situation for their precariousness of their housing situation. Like if you are a service worker or you're working, for instance, as like a maid or a, a, a yard services worker uh, doing you know yard work for somebody uh, and you're doing that work in Beverly Hills or in Bel Air or in uh, Rancho Palos Verdes, wherever, like... If you're doing that work and you're having to commute like two hours to get there, having some kind of public transit to make your life better for getting there would dramatically, you know, remove a, a huge issue of precariousness because your car breaking down means you lose your job. If you lose your job, you lose your ability to pay for your housing and then you become unhoused. Like 
these things are all tied together. So choosing to say we can't expand our infrastructure because we can't have clean bike paths where people can't are, are congregating. Um, it, again, we, it's one of those situations like what we were talking about with everything at the Echo Park uh, situation last week was these people have nowhere else to go. Like where, where do you want them to go? There's nowhere safe for them to be and, you know, deal with their lives. So it's just disgusting. So anyway. Again, also this whole, it's your tax money, like, democracies and republics work by us not deciding how every dollar that I pay in taxes gets decided. That's why we have governments. Yep. Um, but yeah, very much like that whole, this is your money ultimately that they're wasting on something that you don't want them to do. Yeah. So uh, I think we'll watch one more video here. Uh, this is going to be about typhus. No, let's not watch a different one. Okay, we can watch it. So much one. ink has been spilled on how the typhus outbreak was fake. Uh, da, 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 da. There, there are, just so y'all know, as we're surfing through the timeline here, there's a couple of big themes they like to hit. Trash, uh, disease, uh, rats. Yeah, it's... Um, feces. feces. Yeah, feces. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's poop and needles, right? Poop and needles are the big... Yeah. Poop and needles, it's big stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right, homeless attacks. Where the suspects are homeless. Got footage Tonight of LAPD pointing guns at someone. Dude smacking someone. Joel Grover reports on the growing threat. untreated mental illness and drug addiction. Same guy. On LA's streets of shame. Keep your eye on the woman walking out of this apartment building. A homeless man approaches and suddenly smacks her in the head. There are now thousands of crimes a year like this one in which the suspects are homeless and in many cases suffering from mental illness or substance abuse. Again with pictures so of people dramatic. in health crisis. Heidi Van Tassel was walking to her car near Hollywood's Walk of Fame when, according to police and court records, a transient with schizophrenia and psychotic disorders dumped feces all over her. A bucket of his diarrhea. It was liquid, hot liquid. I was soaked. And Very I visceral description. Off of my eyelashes into my eyes paramedics rushed her to the hospital and she now needs to be tested for infectious diseases every three months it's something i won't ever forget it was i mean it was disgusting for over a year the i-team has been reporting on crimes where the suspects are homeless like this guy arrested for setting fire to chairs at a downtown steakhouse and this homeless man pushing someone in front of a truck. There were more than 6,000 of these reported crimes in L.A. in 2017. By the end of 2018, the number of crimes was up more than 50%. And now we've learned the numbers... This is, these numbers don't make any fucking year. sense to me. It seems like they're just saying this is the total number of crimes reported, not just a, like committed by unhoused people. Because that would be an insane number of crimes. Like 9,000 over the course of a year would be Yeah, the other possibility is day? that it's every crime committed at which point by yeah. an unhoused person, which doesn't necessarily include a tax on people, but, you know, uh, a also, series of quality of life yeah. related crimes or, you know, 
I mean, also, I think it just goes to the fact that they're playing fast and loose with the facts. They're not saying any of that stuff. They're not telling us what categories these crimes are in. They're literally just like, here's a big number. And you're like, and here's but this where, big did number that, going up. where did it come from? Yeah. And what is it actually saying? Because, again, it's about selling the fear. It's not about selling a solution or a political vision of, like, doing something differently. It's really just like... I don't even know if I would describe it as porn, like in the food porn sense, where like you're getting something interesting from watching it. It's just this very like vindictive and vitriolic screed against people who are poor. Yeah, and and it goes to, I mean, we've we've been hearing this for decades, and and the truth, you know, Chomsky's been talking about it for even longer than that. Like the discourse that's put out there by the news is, in these cases particularly, is about getting your attention and getting your eyeballs on the TV watching them so they can sell you ads. And the at the end of the day, like if it bleeds, it leads, right? Or in this case, if it's a bucket of hot diarrhea, it's definitely going to be reported on, and it's going to be reported on extensively. And I mean, I really feel bad for that woman going through that trauma of having that happen to her. But also, this is not talking about anything related to the systemic issues surrounding how that person ended up in that kind of a situation where that, happens right like they don't talk about the fact that we don't have any investment in mental health infrastructure in this state anymore like we shut everything down and to be fair again touching back on what happened in like in the 80s with reagan like yeah the the in the 60s 70s okay so the 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 dismantling of the public health infrastructure in the state you know it's a long time ago and we're going to be dealing with the repercussions of it for a long time rather than trying to reform and rebuild it in a humane manner it was just cut everything all together and deal with it through the uh, sheriff's office and through local police departments. And it's using these extreme rare situations as a way to paint. Well, this is an example of the norm and that's obviously not the case, right? This is a one-off. This is the kind of thing that doesn't happen frequently, but it's painted as the kind of attack that we're all in danger of happening to us at any moment, at any time, by anyone who's unhoused. Yeah. And that's not the reality of the situation, but that's the reality that they're selling. Yeah, I mean, when we've, when the, during outreach, when I've been with you, Sharon, walking down the street, all the people that we talk to are just, they just want to be left alone. They just want to be able to exist in these public spaces where they, they don't have anywhere else to go. They don't want to be interfered with. They don't want to interfere with anybody else's life. They just want to be left to their own devices and try to, you know, get by with what they have because that's they're, they're the victims in all of these circumstances. The person who's unhoused is the victim. And that's just the statistic that we're not seeing is that people who are unhoused are so much more likely to be victimized by someone who's housed. Absolutely. People who are or by, you know, by somebody else who's unhoused, then they are to be the perpetrator of a crime or yep. of a violent attack. Absolutely. Um, and it's just what we see is that folks who, you know, and, and, and again, I will say the one caveat to, to being wanted to left alone and is like people want social interaction. There are yes, some people yes. who want social interaction, who want people to talk to them and need that tether. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like this tear at that. Absolutely. Right? So when you when you see these things that paint people, you know, as other or as threats, it really hurts the ability of the people who aren't the guy with this one situation, mm-hmm. um, who 
maybe just want somebody to talk to, that the likelihood of them being able to create that relationship becomes less in a world where more people see everyone as one person going through a mental health crisis Mm -hmm. than like one person who could have a mental health crisis avoided with some human contact. Yeah, absolutely. And and when I'm talking about people wanting to be left alone, I mean, the the cops, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, so let's, let's finish this up here. The suspects suffer from mental illness or methamphetamine abuse. Meth use has been linked to violence and so is untreated mental illness. How could you live? Oh, Oh, the reaction on everyone's face all at once. That's Andy Bales just popped up on screen. Uh, None of us like him. Are we going to talk about his foot? Does life on the streets lead to to violent outcomes? Absolutely. Thank you, Reverend Andy. Attorney Brandon Cohen. Were you kind of in shock when it happened? What was shocking was that I lived here for four years and it didn't happen sooner. We found the homeless. What? Whoa. What? Right back on the streets without getting any treatment or help. I am always on the lookout. We discovered that Brandon Cohen's attacker, Charles Fuller, had four previous felony convictions. But after he attacked Cohen, the cops simply gave him a citation for battery and let him go. Four months later, a block away, a similar attack against this mother and daughter. Though the police didn't make an arrest, so the suspect wasn't identified. They need treatment for be it drugs or mental illness. Nobody Like Jose Rio Frio, who made headlines in New York for stalking a TV anchor. He moved to L.A., where he was convicted of threatening to kill a security guard. Last May, he wandered away from this psychiatric facility and has since been on the LAPD's missing persons list. But the I-team found him hiding in plain sight, sitting day after day, yelling at people from this Hollywood bus bench. Right now, you're still suffering from mental health issues. Yeah, sure. It was awful. What? And it changed my life. Heidi Van Tassel says she's experiencing PTSD from that attack seven months ago. It's changed the way I feel walking on the street. Court records show her attacker was charged with battery and taken to jail. He doesn't need jail time. He needs mental health care. I have empathy for him because he needs help. Heidi's attacker was found mentally incompetent to stand trial, and prosecutors tell the I-team he's now back on the streets. I'll never, ever forget his face. Heidi Van Tassel says there should be help, not just for the mentally ill suspects in these crimes, but also for the victims. According to text messages she showed me, the LAPD told her their victim's advocate would contact her to offer her services. But Heidi says the victim's advocate never got in touch. I mean, so there's a lot to unpack there, especially with the untreated mental illness is an indicator that you'll commit a violent crime, which is the exact opposite. Like having a mental illness uh, diagnosed or not puts you much more at risk of having a crime committed against you. And like the only crime, like the only demographic of crime that rose in the last year was crimes against the unhoused, which are up 24%. Um, But again, like really light on the statistics for a news report really light on facts for investigative journalism. <laughs> yeah, so uh, because Andy Bales showed up here, um, I feel like we need to say a couple of things about him. Like the, 
the experience that we've seen in terms of the the views that he is espousing when he's going on Twitter, when he's going on uh, shows like uh, he he was on Doctor Drew's stuff at some point, right? Actually, I think uh, he and Doctor Drew did a joint Streets of Shame, I think, mm-hmm. uh, segment. Um, and both, I think, worked together on some of the Trump administration stuff. Oh, fun. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the thing is, Andy Bales is very careful. Uh, he's been, uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, Andy Bales runs Union Rescue Mission, mm-hmm. uh, which is a major shelter on Skid Row. It's, it's, it, it, it pre-exists his time there. Um, but, yeah, he's been running it for... Sometime now. And the thing is that he is very careful to not try and blame specific people who are unhoused or... But what he does do is give voice, using his years of experience, Mm -hmm. uh, to people like Dr. Drew, who do focus on these sorts of outlier situations uh, that involve people with mental health who are going through a mental health crisis or um, in Dr. Drew's case, often making up people who don't exist, Mm -hmm. but as far as we know, and, you know, hypothetical situations um, that, and then claiming that Martin V. Boise was wrongly decided because of a potential schizophrenic who potentially might do something. Yeah. Um, And, uh, but, but that aside, you know, so Andy spends a lot of time giving his voice to people like that, to uh, working with folks that have been promoting criminalization as the answer. And uh, some of that comes from him working on Skid Row and refusing to believe that the homelessness crisis in L.A. looks different in mm-hmm. Skid Row than it looks like everywhere yeah. else. Um, and some of that just comes from fame whoring. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we should we should mention yeah. that him and uh, Marbut, who's the new like homelessness czar that that Trump appointed, both run very evangelical uh, homeless shelters and homeless shelters that seem opposed to housing first, like Union Rescue Mission. I'm not sure if they're like as vocally opposed to it as they used to be, but they're very much services and sobriety first, and then housing can come after that. Like you have to earn your way into shelter. Um, I know it's not as harsh as like the the shelters that Trump's guy runs, where like if you if you're not sober for 30 days beforehand, you have to sleep in the courtyard. You don't get actual shelter. Uh, you can very easily get kicked out. But they also have this this very like similar model that's designed to fail most people. Like you're not going to get sober if you don't have a stable place to live. Right. Uh, I mean, he's actually been pretty explicit lately that the reason that he is anti housing first is that because and permanent supportive housing has been that it takes a long time to build and his funding sources are drying up because people are focusing on housing first. <laughs> okay, so there's... I, mean, a- I do have to say, having researched their budget and what their board and officers get paid, Andy does not make the most money, but their head of HR and like their marketing department and basically all of the like C-suite executives are all making well north of $150,000. And Andy Bale is actually towards the lower end. He's only making one sixty a year. But these are all people who are getting paid a couple million dollars a year uh, and then complaining that they're not able to keep the funding going to keep running the shelter. And you're like, wow, I wonder if your head of HR really needs $192,000 a year or if, you know, maybe you should be working for less than that when you're in a nonprofit sector like this. 
And also, we've discussed this before, like the way the, the, the very structure of these shelters really, it doesn't, they don't serve to help anyone in any meaningful way because in a lot of circumstances, especially if you drive, if you drive down Skid Row uh, or walk through it or, or bike or anything, if you go past any of these places like Union Rescue Mission, you'll see lines of people waiting to get inside and they are waiting because they, if they don't wait, they won't get a spot. And so they're stuck there all day waiting and then they get kicked out at like six in the morning and they are then stuck with nothing that they can't go anywhere. They can't access any kind of support services or any career counseling or drug uh, addiction rehabilitation, anything like that. There's no access to that because they're stuck literally waiting in a queue in front of a homeless shelter in Skid Row with no protection from the elements, nowhere to sit on like a bench or anything. It's just there's a line of people up against a wall waiting for their spot to get in at night because at least that way they have a roof over their head. So these shelters are like calling them a shelter seems generous. It's this is like almost an internment camp, but it's one where they turn you out during the day. They like hose everything down and then they let you back in at night. And if you do anything at all, they will find a reason to just kick you out and not let you come back. Right. And I mean, I think some of this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with scarcity mindset and talking about the idea that, and you know, to be sure, I am sure there have been trade-offs made by various grant making institutions, Mm -hmm. but the idea that we can't respond to this as a crisis that requires some emergency shelter to be built because we are too busy building affordable housing, because we're too busy building permanent supportive housing, is an absurdity, right? In order for us to respond to what is, in fact, a crisis, we need a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But at the point that we haven't built any of that infrastructure um, in terms of trying to deal with this as a crisis along the way, yeah, now we're going to have to do some work. We're going to have to spend some money. Um, It's going to be expensive. But that's what happens when you ignore the problem or just extend the problem for as long as you did. So, um, oh, good. Well, yeah, I also want to add that it's um, quite offensive when people like Andy Bales um, kind of paints our support for Housing First as us wanting people to remain on the streets because of the length of time that it takes to build mm-hmm. housing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is very offensive. It's disgusting because the idea that they that he has the moral high ground because he's like I'm trying to deal with this in a more immediate uh, way therefore my my moral position is superior to yours it's very similar to what we're talking about with the property taxes versus sales taxes like under on what basis are you making this moral judgment you asshole well so I, I wanted to ask uh, you two to since we're kind of wrapping this up um, what do you see as how effective or not effective this kind of messaging is? And what do you think is like the healthy alternative to this? Do, do we see anyone developing that? Um, I would say, for one, I do think this has been effective and not in a good way, obviously. Mm-hmm. Because this is what we see people citing on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, right? These stories as the example of why it's okay to hate people solely because they are unhoused. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that healthy perspectives are ones that center the stories of people who are unhoused, center their solutions, 
and center solutions over problems. The problem is whenever you're looking for something sensational, you're not going to get the norm, which means that the solutions that are proposed are going to be punitive and they're not going to be solutions that deal with the everyday problems that no one wants to talk about because they're not interesting, they're not glamorous, they're not violent, they're not bleak, right? Mm -hmm. It's not blood that needs to lead. But I feel like, Jane, you probably have a better sense of <laughs> well, some good alternatives. Well, we struggle with this because uh, while it's important for us to um, promote our own messaging, it's like how do we preserve our integrity of our organization uh, while still appearing on these um, extremely dehumanizing news media pieces. Like um, when NBC Streets of Shame asked if we want to be interviewed, um, it's important, I feel like it's important that um, they hear from us, but also I don't think that they will be able to present our, what we have to say in any kind of um, honest way. So... I mean, it looks like if if you were to go and talk to this guy from Streets of Shame, my guess is that you're going to end up looking just like Becky did uh, in the in that first clip, where you'll get to say like three words and then jump away to the reporter having his little soapbox moment. So I <laughs> I totally understand that. But the you you are also involved, Jane, with uh, Invisible People, which is a a media you know operation of just Mark, uh, Mark Horvath, who goes out and does the interviews that do center these personal stories of unhoused folks. So like, how do you, do you have any idea on how we can like get more people to tune into something like that and get that kind of coverage out there so that people actually get the human perspective? Yeah, I think at this point we kind of have to rely on alternative media, like what you guys are doing at Ground Game with Knock and this podcast. Um, because I the mainstream media, they are pursuing profits and uh, flashy, sensational pieces about hot diarrhea is going to get the clicks and the uh, advertising money. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's up to us at this point to amplify the messages of people who are experiencing homelessness and to talk to our neighbors and platform their stories. And I do want to plug uh, We the Unhoused, which mm -hmm. is Theo's podcast, yeah. who is currently in housed. And again, just by virtue, I think, of being someone with lived experience and those, it guarantees that the stories that are being told are the important ones, even if they're not the ones that are going to get advertiser money. Yeah. The, the last question I wanted to ask um, or kind of go over is, so, you know, part of the thrust of what we're doing here is trying to arm folks with critical analysis and critical thinking. So when you're, you know, when you when you see one of these pieces of media like the Streets of Shame or like that that series that's coming out of Seattle in the wild, what are the questions you should be asking? Like how are you like what's a good basis to critically analyze these from? What questions are you asking yourself in your own mind? I think one thing is always whose story are they telling? Right? So when you watch something like this and you want to always think, first of all, who is actually vulnerable in this situation? Mm -hmm. Whose stories are being told? And like who is, and also who's making money off of this? Mm -hmm. And like what are, that means, what are they going to prioritize, right? Like what are they going to value in coming out of this story? Mm -hmm. Because it's going to be different when there's a profit motive for sure. Yeah. Jane? 
That was extremely well said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, it was. Absolutely. Well, and you should just think about the actual numbers. Um, Because uh, Streets of Shame, they often say um, only X number of people have accepted housing or services or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you should keep in mind how many people are experiencing homelessness and how much housing is available to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And just critically analyze, like, everything that they say because they are trying ultimately they are trying to dehumanize people yeah another thing to keep in mind with those numbers is who's offering that help right like if it's an lapd officer that's coming around with a baton smacking the tent saying get up we've got services available for you but you got to get out of here like that's not an effective way to encourage people to do uh, you know to actually take on those services that are being provided yeah, and another thing that we'll often see, too, is the numbers. Shelters are at capacity, mm-hmm. and then the numbers of people who have been to a shelter, had a traumatic experience, and are like, I'm not doing that again, mm-hmm. also very high. Those two things can still exist in the same world. Um, but those numbers are often played against each other yeah. as a way, again, to blame people who are unhoused for being unhoused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for stopping by and uh, putting up with these videos. Uh, we really appreciate all of the, the work that you're doing out there. Uh, are there some good ways for people to get involved with the work that K-Town for All and other groups are doing uh, or any other work that you want to get out there and plug for folks? Well, uh, K-Town for All uh, meets up every Saturday. We either have a meeting the first Saturday of the month at 3 o'clock or we have outreach two o'clock in the winter time. Um, every Saturday we meet at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church. Um, and then there are so many groups that you can get involved with. Um, there's CELA, um, Street Watch LA, uh, something that we all need to um, join because we have to be vigilant against the increasing criminalization and um, enforcement. Um, anything else? Oh. Ground game, obviously. <laughs> and then uh, what's the North Hollywood one that I'm thinking of? I feel like there's um, is it Home Alliance? Is that the one I'm, I'm thinking of? I'm not one. sure. Sorry. I feel like, <laughs> but you know, uh, getting in touch with these groups too will point you in the direction of some other folks who are doing good work. And like the thing is, most neighborhoods have food pantries that are always looking for volunteers or soup kitchens. They're are a million and one ways to get involved. Um, just figure out what's in your area. And the other thing you can do, bring a bottle of water to someone that you see on the street. Start yeah. a conversation. Yeah. Cool. And if people want to be following you guys on social media, what's your uh, Twitter or Instagram handles? K-Town for all. Mm-hmm. So K-Town, F-O-R-A-L-L. All right. Anything else? Nope. Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah. Thank really you very much for stopping by. Huh? All right, and that does it. Thank you again. I feel so like this is such a professional setup. I know. It's like it's pretty intimidating. Exactly. (laughs) Wow, I had to sit through the hot diarrhea segment. Like